Hi, I'm Chris Roussel, the rector of St. John's Episcopal Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And I'm Ben Kogel, curate at St. John's. And I'm Sarah Weatherly, director of Youth and Family Ministries. This is our podcast called One More Thing. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5. Why are you an Episcopalian? Well, part, I, think, I think... Part 2. Right. I think the question <laughs> is, because this is a confirmation class, why do you want to be mm. an Episcopalian? Why do you still want to be an Ooh, Episcopalian? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. My sheet just said, why Episcopalian, which isn't a full sentence, so <laughs> kind of had a guess there. <laughs> why Episcopalian? Why do you want to be an Episcopalian? Why do you want to be an Episcopalian? Still. Still. Ooh, so, I like that. So last episode, we left off right at the Revolutionary War. We had traced Christianity from the Acts of the Apostles, from when Jesus ascended into heaven, straight through all the different historical twists and turns as best as we could in 30 minutes. Yeah, can anybody, and now no, we're did anybody here. notice we covered all that history in 30 minutes? I know. I was sitting there absorbing it. Like, I'm a math and science person, so I was like, ooh. Yeah. I should have learned this in school at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I did. Hang Maybe. out with us, Miss Sarah. Oh, I have been. <laughs> <laughs> she says with a certain tone of derision. So it's 17, uh, it's the 1770s, and tensions are high, right? America is, the colonies are going to break away from the mother country, England, and that is going to mean something for the Church of England, which is resident in america right our ancestral church has sent clergy over they haven't sent many bishops over i don't think any bishops i don't think they sent any bishops so there are priests who get educated and ordained you know oxford cambridge people in england and they get on a boat for three months and they're sent to their first calls out in places like lynchburg and (laughs) jamestown and new york and philadelphia and all those other places that were places then that's right yeah and are still places today that's right well you know, as Somewhat. far as I know. Yeah. I've never been to those places. Oh, they're um, wonderful. I'm just kidding. I've been to some of them. Anyways. Um, so, so, yeah, so we get priests uh, here mm-hmm. for the for the colonies, right? People, people belong to churches. Uh, there's a variety of churches, right? Some people who felt let, lost in the shuffle of some of the transition, the Reformation, right? Groups like the Puritans you may have heard of who come over on the Mayflower. Uh, there's some of those groups here too. It's, so it's not like 100% of a... Of, colonial folk are Episcopalian slash Church of England. It's like a small group of them, not not all of them. Um, so one of the things that happens in a few years is that Americans insist on freedom of religion for just this reason, right? Because people came over to America to explore and have a freedom of what they believed and how they practiced their religions. So that's not in the notes, but that's a good thing to mention. I, I think, think. That, I think mm-hmm. that's a great... A so, great- a great thing to mention, and I and I would I would take off from there and say that those who first established our country, uh, they they were members of the Church of England. Mm-hmm. Um, they helped establish our governmental structure, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. and they the the parents of democracy, let's say we'll call them, and they set up the three parts of government, right? You have the three different branches of government. And within the legislative branch, they have uh, the House of Representatives based on population and the Senate, which everybody got the same number of senators. Mm-hmm. Well, when, Every state. When, when these folks decided to break away from England and establish um, 
our, our own independent church, yet still connected to the Church of England, Mm-hmm. They set up a structure here within our church that resembles a lot our democratic uh, uh, system of government at the federal level. Yeah. And in, in the same way, we're breaking away from England to we, the colonies, are breaking away to not be ruled by the king. The church also was set up to have allegiance to the king, right? When King Henry moved the Church of England away from the Catholic Church, he was claiming that spiritual role that... Right. God-given role of authority over the church. And so for a, uh, what's it called when you're a, a patriot, when you were on the colony side? In yeah. The, yeah so for a patriot who's a devout church person in the Church of England, they would come to church on Sunday and they would have to pray for the king. Right. And by being baptized or joining the church, you were in some way pledging loyalty to the king. The clergy were, especially as ordained folks, were loyal to the king, right? They were loyalists, I guess that's the other word. So that creates a, a quandary, right? You can't be loyal to the king and also be leaving the king politically, but not spiritually. So that's sort of the main issue that causes the Episcopal Church to form. Uh, the full name of the Episcopal Church was a Protestant Episcopal Church in America. Uh, well, and, I think, I, if I may interrupt, because I think ahead. that's a good point, that what we forget in our modern context is that um, church and state were interwoven with one another, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? We are so adamant now to make sure that there is a separation of church and state, but at that time, and the early stages of our country, and before our country was established, church and state were, were bound up together pretty tightly. That's right. So, so that's when, separating yeah, out. So when you say, I'm leaving the king, mm-hmm. you can't just say, I'm leaving the king's uh, government, but I'm going to stay within the king's church. Right. You can't do that. Yeah. And when we uh, re- restructured our prayer book, the first American prayer book, we took out the parts about the king, of course, and we changed how we prayed for the leaders of this country, right? We pray for the president, but we don't swear fealty or loyalty or have any direct church connection to the president of the United States, right? Exactly. Some, some presidents have been Episcopalian, but not all of them, of course, and so we don't have a, uh, a religious connection to the president other than that we pray for them. We pray for our elected leaders, both locally and nationally, because we believe that by praying for our leaders, we are somehow supporting them, helping them, and that that's a good thing to do. So there was, there was a natural consequence that flowed out of all of this, right? Is that, as you pointed out, Ben, that we've got, we've got priests that are here, mm-hmm. but in the Anglican tradition and in the Church of England— there were always bishops, bishops right. ordained priests. Right. Well, it always took three bishops to ordain another bishop. That's right. The bishops have what's called apostolic succession. Sarah, you know what an apostle is, yes, right? Yes, I do. How many apostles did Jesus have? Twelve. He had twelve apostles. Just twelve apostles. He exactly did. And so those apostles, they ordained, if you will, are passed on apostolic succession mm-hmm. so that that unbroken chain of apostolic succession goes down through the church, mm-hmm. went into the Church of England, and then they wanted to retain that when That's the right. American church was being established. That's right. It was so, so central that we have that connection back to the original church, right? Both the Church of England and the Episcopal Church, we never intended to start up anew and start a new religion, start something that's separate, right? We are so rooted in our tradition 
and our connection to the historic church, right? The, the thing we pray for when we pray for church unity is that someday, somehow, God is going to gather all of the different churches back together into one united church, right? Yeah. So even though we had to split over these differences, we didn't want to make it – we're not – we're not looking to change anything else, right? We're not just splitting because it's fun. We're not just splitting to split hairs, if you will. But we we really do believe that someday, somehow, God is going to put all of this, put all of us back together. So so here we are. You know, I want you to imagine that you're in America in the 1700s. We are breaking away politically and now spiritually from the Church of England and from the government of England, from the king there. And um, imagine that we've got some priests here. But we need more priests to be ordained, so we need a bishop. But we don't have a bishop. So how then, Ben, did we? Did, how did we come to be able to retain apostolic succession? So because because the church in England said, "All right, you want to break away from us? We're not going to ordain you a bishop." Right. So the first bishop uh, was actually ordained through Scotland, right, which yep. was closely connected to the Church of England. Same. Uh, if we want to use the word denomination, almost the same denomination, but they were a separate church because at that point, Scotland and England were not totally unified. unified. Um, So that's the first ordination. The second bishop was ordained, I think was ordained through England a few years later, right? The bishops, the religious authorities had come around after the revolution had been settled down. The first American bishop being? Samuel Seabury. Samuel Seabury, exactly. And the second being William Wilberforce? Force, or maybe, force? I think so. That up. I don't know when you're when you're on air and you're uh, you know Sarah's going to get it for us. She is going to get it. She is she is a name check, a fact check. She is, she is googling quickly and make sure it's Second Episcopal Bishop because there are other denominations, of With course, bishops. that use the the phrase bishop. So so back to the point though. We so we've got we saying William White. William White. There you Not go. Not Wilberforce. I don't know who uh, William, William Wilberforce is. And yeah. then it's Samuel. Yeah, he's the third. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so thanks, Wikipedia. So we were <laughs> able to then retain that apostolic succession, which was really important. Absolutely. So when we broke away, and and as you pointed out, Father Ben, that the original name of the church was the Protestant Episcopal Church in the United States of America. That we have now shortened it to the Episcopal Church, mm-hmm. Episcopal or the Episcopacy is the the name that's used to identify bishops. That's right. And so our, the very name of our of our denomination, Episcopal or Episcopalian, denotes the fact that we place emphasis on this history, mm-hmm. on this polity, this structure, this hierarchy. Mm-hmm. But it also says something about our theology, which I think goes back to what you said, which is that we want to stay connected and remain part of the whole. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about our um, theology. One of the other big highlights of the Episcopal Church, right, is that when you walk in on Sunday morning, you're going to see a very similar thing here at St. John's as you would see at St. Paul's or Trinity Boonesboro or any Episcopal Church that you chose to walk into across the country. And then if you go outside of our denomination, it gets a little bit different depending on where you're going outside of that or a lot different depending on where you're going outside of that. But for us Episcopalians, that shared worship, the way that we do things being almost the same in all the places, except little changes for context, uh, is, is rooted in the Book of Common Prayer, right? The Book of Common Prayer is actually our primary governing document, right? That and the Constitution and Canons of the Episcopal Church. 
but we as clergy say that we will be under the rules and rubrics the the information that's in the book of common prayer right that's how central it is to our faith and also to our uh, polity and understanding of how we as Christians act, right? It tells us how we worship on Sundays. It tells us how we are to pray during the week. It gives us the Psalms in case we didn't have it in our Bible, but we do, but you know. Um, And so for us, that prayer book worship being such a clear central thing actually informs a lot of our beliefs. What's, what's the phrase for that, Chris? Lex orandi, lex credendi. So the way that we pray. And that's Latin. Yeah. Right? Uh, just so you know. So yeah. So the think, way that we think Lex Luthor from Superman. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't think Lex Luthor from from Superman. Yeah. So that the way that we pray shapes the what shapes what we believe. Right. Our the prayer shapes prayer our belief. Shapes the law of belief, and the law of belief shapes our prayer. So mm-hmm. so what we pray, like the words that we pray says something about what we believe. So and the when, practices we have too, yeah, right? Which and, prayers we're choosing. And so and when what someone we do. comes to a liturgy on on say Sunday morning and it's the Eucharist, and at the at the opening of the liturgy after the Gloria, uh, the presiding priest will say the Lord be with you and also with you, let us pray. And then they pray what's called the opening collect. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the words of each collect that's different each and every Sunday uh, those words say a lot about what we believe, about love, about respect for uh, each other, about doing good in the world. All those things get covered in the various collects throughout, yeah. the, throughout the year. That's great. Another way to look at Episcopal uh, faith and beliefs is something called the, the three-legged stool. Have you three-legged heard of this? Stool. Three-legged stool. Have you ever had to sit on a three-legged stool before? I mean, yeah, it's just like sitting on a chair. It doesn't feel wobbly to you? No, not really. If you take one of the legs out... Oh, you're definitely going down. There's, yeah. there's yeah, no way out of that Not good. One. You ever milk a cow? You got to sit on a three-legged stool to milk a cow, don't I've you? I've never touched it. No, I thought no. you just plugged the cow into the milking machine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's very modern. <laughs> Has never milked a cow. No. Yeah, never, never milked a cow. Ditto. Have you milked a cow? No, I've never milked a cow. Oh, that's not a good, that old. That's Did a great... field trip? Question mark? Well, I, That's a great quiz question. Well, Sonny, who, <laughs> who on our podcast hosts have milked a cow? That's right. Was it Chris, Sarah, Ben, or none of the above? Or none of the above. Or all of the above. <laughs> well, anyway, really so what off. is the three-legged school, stool in this metaphor? It's not an actual stool where we milk cows. Right. And so we inherit this from Anglicanism mm-hmm. uh, because that's where it got started. And, and we have fully, continue to fully embrace the, the concept here in the United States, in the Episcopal Church. And, and the three legs of that stool are Scripture, that's the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. The Word of God. Tradition, that is the way in which we have prayed and what we have prayed. Mm-hmm. And reason which is our ability to ask questions, our ability to observe the world. You know, one of the great things about the Episcopal Church is that we are, a, what I would say, a huge tent. And underneath that tent are lots of different people with lots of different ideas and thoughts and, and asking lots of different kinds of questions, right? That's right. So when we said uh, in one of the first episodes about the creed, in the creed, we acknowledge that Jesus's mother, that he was conceived um, and his mother was gave birth to him and she was a virgin. Remember, we talked about that. Mm-hmm. And some people will ask, how can that possibly be? That is a fair question, right? And so it, it and, and in, a, in, a, in a desire uh, to use reason, 
may question that and may look at that, uh, may examine that, may research that. And yet when it comes down to it, there is an answer to it. And the answer is that it's a miracle, right? Sure. Um, so we can't always arrive at our, at, at our faith life by using reason, mm-hmm. but we certainly are encouraged to ask questions, to explore our faith using reason. Yeah, I think, I think something important to remember is that we wouldn't be where we are in, the, in talking about this in the church without God having taken that first step, right? That's what we call revelation, whether that's uh, through the people of Israel or whether that's through the story of Jesus or whether we come to revelation as we do now through hearing it from other people, reading in the Bible, et cetera, et cetera. All three of those ways are ways that God has revealed to us. It's not something that is uh, that necessarily, I mean, we might conclude that there is a God, but we might not conclude that there is the God that Christianity describes, a loving God who cares about us, who died for us, who does all the things that God does for us, right? That's harder to get to from reason, but it is abundantly clear when we apply our reason to our knowledge that God gives us through Scripture and through the tradition, and I would say it, I would say it this way because this is really important that science is God's own gift. Oh, absolutely! And so science really seeks to discover things like how the world began, mm. right? How it began. Whereas religious folks like me, theologians, we seek to discover why it began. Why did God breathe us into creation and set us into motion? Two different questions with two different approaches. That's right. Yes. And they're Great not point. and they don't fight each other. No. They work in tandem with one another. I mean, back, you know, generations ago, uh, some of the, the biggest scientists in the world were, were also theologians. And so science and theology can work hand in hand, does oftentimes work hand in hand. One of the great places it does that is in the Episcopal Church. Absolutely. Right? I don't Absolutely. know if anyone in our congregation off the top of my head, but there are plenty of scientists who are Episcopalian rather than another denomination because our religion has that space that you're talking about where you can question and explain. I will say that if you are looking for specific church teachings on things, general overview, in the prayer book there's a section called an outline of the faith or the catechism, right? We've referred to it a few different times. Um, We might refer to it a couple more times later in in the series. It's a really great thing to read through and think about. But the difference with the Episcopalians, I think, is if I, I Ben, am teaching you the catechism, I'm not going to say, okay, so here's the catechism. If you don't believe this, you can't be Episcopalian. Right. Right. Other types of Christianity say, here is this statement of belief. If you don't believe it, you're out. Right. And that's not where we are at in the Episcopal tradition. Right. We don't we believe that even I think even if you don't, you know, sign a belief pledge in the catechism or sign a belief pledge in whatever, that you can still be Episcopalian. Right. If you go through the preparation and formation, because honestly, like if you do sign that pledge or, or do whatever it is, right, that you may still have questions and then you're put in a place where you have to keep that a secret. And for us, we believe that God helps us, reveals God's self to us in conversation with other people. Uh, when we learn together, when we question together, when we wrestle with God together. So if we make everyone say that they believe the same thing and sign a document or, or do whatever action that is, we stop some of that work of the Holy Spirit. We, we cut that off before it can happen, before we can go deeper with God and build 
uh, a better relationship with God? Well, I think I think one of the questions that that we're addressing now, right, is why be Episcopalian? Yeah. And so so that sort of begs the question of well, why not be some other denomination? Yeah. And and I think it's really important that from our standpoint as Episcopalians, we seek unity. And so we look, we prefer to look at what we share in common more than what differentiates us from other denominations. Yeah. I would encourage our, our students who are, are studying for confirmation, I would encourage them if, you know, if you have, let's say, a, 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 your mom is Episcopalian, your dad's Methodist, find out about the Methodist faith, mm-hmm. what it is that they believe and, and what makes it uh, maybe slightly different. And, and see, that's the thing. It's not much difference when you, when you start looking at the differences, uh, there really aren't very many differences uh, along what we believe. Theological lines, maybe maybe the way we're structured might be different, uh, somewhat different. But I would always encourage folks to explore. Um, and, and I I love the Episcopal Church. I think it's a, a wonderfully uh, accepting denomination. You know, we are at the forefront, and of all, we have a tradition of being at the forefront of um, of leadership on. Uh, the civil rights issues on LGBTQ um, equality and inclusion, uh, a variety of, of, of things that some denominations have really struggled and wrestled with. And we have too. We've had our own struggles, but we've also been quick to run towards love, to love and to embrace and to accept and to empower. That's right. Yeah. I think I would add too that, uh, Yes, we have been on the forefront of things, and the Episcopal Church does have a lot of work to do, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We're having... Uh, and and has a cloudy history on some things, yeah, like slavery. Uh, we, we are guilty of some things in that regard, so we, uh, we're not perfect. Yeah, when... To, to talk about the slavery issue specifically, when the Civil War happened, right, the Episcopal Church experienced another... Um, split, right? There was the Episcopal Church of the Confederate States of America for a few years there. Um, the bigger Episcopal Church, the Union Episcopal Church, or, or whatever it was called, chose to incorporate those people right back in, right after the the Confederate War, after the Civil War. Um, and on one hand, we raise that up as a, as a statement of forgiveness, and that's a good thing. But on the other hand, I'm not sure if at that time we really wrestled with those differences theologically. We really did the work of... Um, serious reconciliation where we have to make up for the mistakes we made and change our hearts, change our minds about certain issues, right? We kind of merge back in and we can still see some of that baggage today, right? In the uh, forms, in 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 our national life, right? All the different things that are going on, but also in the Episcopal Church and some of the ways that uh, racism is still present, even though, of course, we don't want there to be racism or want there to be any of that sort of sin, we're, we're still enmeshed in those those problems today. And we're, we're working towards uh, healing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And towards becoming the church that God truly intends us to be. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So we're not perfect, but we're pretty good. Yeah. Think about being Episcopalian. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would encourage it. I mean, I'm, I'm very proud of my daughters. I have daughters that went through the confirmation process. They chose... Uh, to be confirmed. Uh, uh, their mom and I didn't push them or force them to be confirmed. 
Um, but that's something that they willingly chose. And I think they feel at home within the Episcopal context. Sure. Uh, they, you know, they're familiar with it. They know it. They love it. And, and I think they're very appreciative of uh, especially the social justice issues that the Episcopal Church has taken a lead on yeah. in many, many ways. I'm, I'm really proud to be an Episcopalian, too, and I, I would encourage uh, listeners as well as our confirmands to take a look at the Episcopal Church website. You know, just Google Episcopal Church and it comes right up. And they, they have a really – better than our website even. They have a really good website that really showcases what the Episcopal Church is about right now and what some of those beliefs are that we're talking about and talking around and what some of the things that we're working on as a, as a church community are. Absolutely. So. And and the next couple of episodes, we're going to talk about once you make that leap towards saying, I do want to be an Episcopalian. Mm-hmm. Well, then it gets even more specific, right? We, we, we begin to say, well, okay, I, I, I want to be an Episcopalian and I know why I want to be an Episcopalian. Um, which Episcopal church do I find is my home? Mm-hmm. Where is home? Sure. Um, yeah. And so that's something we'll be exploring over the next couple of episodes. That's yeah. great. Yeah, that's great. This has been a lot of fun, you guys. Yeah, I know. It has been. Miss Sarah, you've been awfully quiet. I know. I know. I've just been like listening, and I'm like, can I interject now? I don't well, know. Of course you can. You're always welcome. <laughs> well, yeah, no. I mean, I've just been enjoying listening to everything, because this is history I didn't know. Well, and you've also been sitting over there with your journal and writing down all the quiz questions. Yes, yeah, so I've been really right. focused on that, too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just think the history is interesting, and you know... I went through confirmation class. I was in seventh grade. I was young. Yeah. Now, you went to Catholic school, right? I went to Catholic high school. So you went to Catholic school and still chose to be Episcopalian. Yeah. Well, middle school, it was not Catholic. It was like... Oh, okay. But you went to Catholic high school. Yeah, I went to Catholic high school. But you were involved in your Episcopal parish. And I was very involved in my Episcopal parish. Um, Religion class, I was hushed and shushed because I would ask questions that they did not approve of. Hmm. And I'd be like, why is it like that? And they're like, because that's tradition. I'm like, but why? Like, I don't agree with that. Can so you, you were you were really embracing that reason part the of reason the three-legged stool. And, yeah. you know, in college, I went to different types of churches. I didn't go to an Episcopal church until Meredith's graduation party. And you said, hey, come to church. And I was like, oh, there you I can't go. say here no to are. a priest. <laughs> uh, here I am <laughs> now. <laughs> here yeah. I am. Um, but, you know, I went to the Baptist churches. And every time, it was just like there wasn't the tradition. I knew I could walk into any Episcopal church. Yeah. And I knew what to expect. Yeah. But then going elsewhere, I was like, mm, yeah. why is it overly emotional? Like, why is yeah. there a rock show happening? Like, right. what's going on here? And it it's just wasn't my thing. And, it, and, and that's okay. I mean, yeah. and, and it's not a judgment against those it's not types a judgment of worship against experiences, no. for sure. I like it every once in a while. Don't Absolutely. get me wrong. But some, some Episcopalians worship that way. Not really? a majority by any yeah. means, but right. there are Episcopal churches that offer... Uh, praise bands, right? Yeah, and you know what? What we really need in the Episcopal Church, uh, we have a nice, strong contingency of young people, young families who are Episcopalians, identify as Episcopalians, but we need to make sure we empower their voices to be heard, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Because we do have traditions, and sometimes tradition can feel confining, like, oh, it's how we've always done it, so we can never change. Well, we have to be open we to, have change to change because God. Uh, God wants us to grow and to move and to evolve in spiritual maturity and in relationship with God and in relationship with one another. So my hope is that those young people who are listening to our podcast, 
who are choosing to be Episcopalian and choosing to be confirmed that they won't just be confirmed and come to church every Sunday, which is what I hope, yeah. but that they'll actually be involved and that they will let their voice be heard. Yeah, like if you have like something you want to see change, email us. You know, I'd like to hear it. Like, what's your opinion? Of course, I'm going to ask you why. Well, that was the last, that was the spiritual reflection question of the last episode. Yeah. If there was so, anything that you could change in the church, what it would it but be? seriously, though, email us. And so uh, is there a spiritual reflection question for this episode? So our reflection question will be, if you walk into a church, you didn't see the sign, right. how would you be able to tell it's an Episcopal church? How would you know it's an Episcopal church without being told? That's right. Right? What, would, what items would you look for? What, would what you see? What signs, you, symbols? Yeah. Describe it to us. Wow. That'd, That'd be great. Be, that's really know. good. And it doesn't like have it. to be long. No. Yeah. I mean, it can be bullet points. It can be a paragraph, however you want to put it. Give us a couple of things. Work with us. Please and thank <laughs> you. We'll work with you. All right. Well, All right. be assured of our love and prayers. Hang in there. Yeah. We're getting close. We've only got two more episodes after this. I know. That's right. Y'all well, are killing it. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.